if I'm showing my legs, it doesn't mean that I'm a dirty person or a bad person. The way I act, the way I treat people says that about me, not how much I have on. I, I, I don't have to be the one to control what you are thinking by what, to, what, what I'm putting on my body. You're right. going to be the one that's going to control what you're thinking. You're not responsible I'm for not what responsible. other people's perceptions. Absolutely think. not. Hello and welcome to What's Underneath, the podcast that will inspire self-acceptance through empowering you to embrace what's unrepeatable in you. I'm Lily Mandelbaum and sitting next to me is my mom, Elisa Goodkind. And we are style like you. Each week we bring you interviews with diverse nonconformists about their relationship to style, self-image, and identity. Being radically honest without shame and holding that honesty with compassion is self-acceptance. If you fall in love with our guests as much as we do, you can see them in their full self-expression on our YouTube channel and Instagram using the handle at style like you. And if our stories open your eyes or are transformative on your own journey towards acceptance, please consider becoming a member of Style Like You on Patreon so that we can continue creating a world where everyone feels comfortable and safe in their skin. To support our work, head over to patreon.com slash style like you. A huge thanks to Olibiologique for sponsoring this episode of What's Underneath. With the idea that we need to celebrate, not fix our natural selves, Olibiologique skincare products aim to get your skin glowing with no filters and no extraneous hype. We love Oli oils for their uncomplicated, wellness-based, clean approach to our daily skincare routine, coupled with a no-silver-bullet-promises ethos. Just all-natural skin-supporting nourishment. Deliver the nutrients your skin craves fast and get your own Oli oils via Amazon, plus 20% off with code STYLELIKEYOU20. That URL is www.amazon.com slash and that link will also be in the show information. Yeah, yeah, mom. Yes, Lily. Hi. Who are we here with? We are here in New York City with Pam Nasser, from, was born in Lebanon and raised in Dubai, and um, has already accomplished having made a film. I can't wait to hear more about it. It's called Clams Casino, but basically it's something that's exploring social interaction and, you know, something that's really um, dear to my heart and I think a lot of people right now, but how we've gotten to the point where we can exist without being mediated in some way or another through screens and virtual devices and running commentary, which is something that's plaguing everyone and we're all sort of stuck. The film addresses all of that through something that's happening in South Korea called mukbang. Mukbang. Mukbang, yeah. Um, where people eat lots of food in, on, in broadcasts. Yeah. It's super fascinating. Once I dived into this phenomenon, I you know why does mukbang exist why did it why did it start what are the reasons for these people to log on to a web streaming service and create an account and decide hey i'm going to come sit on this table and eat for people that i can't even see on the other side of the screen there were a lot of uh, different people that watched mukbang um some of them watched it for you immediately think sexual pleasure, you know, uh, getting off on like the fact that someone that is fairly good looking on the other side of the screen consume a lot of food. And most of the broadcasting jock- jockeys, they're called BJs, uh, some of them dress in costumes uh, for their viewers. Um, so they get, they get a certain pleasure from watching someone simply eat. 
Um, some of them watch it because like myself, when I was younger, I hated coming back from school and had having lunch on my own. And I remember telling my family, I was like, can somebody please wait for me? I don't want to have lunch on my own because uh, my younger sister would come home before me. So that's something that I could relate to, especially in my Lebanese culture. Food is really what connects us and cooking for someone is a sign of showing love and care for that person. So the idea of mukbang touched me in many little ways like that, but still it wasn't enough for me to kind of like understand where this came from. But before we go into any more of that, can we, I'm going to just ask you another question. Um, can you talk about what you think your style says about you? I've heard a lot of people say that, you know, you don't care what people think. Like, you, you just do you and you're bold in your style. And that really is how I feel about myself. In my style, for example, I, I love to be loud in, in the clothes that I wear. I love that if I'm wearing a jacket, you could see it from across the room or across the street um, because it creates, hopefully, it creates an interaction with someone. Like I have this new banging coat that makes me so warm that I wear outside all the time. And it's a fur printed puffer coat uh, all the way down to my ankles. So it's not real fur. It's just a, like a, a print on a puffer. And uh, I've had so many people on the street be like, oh my God, that coat is amazing. And then I'll tell them something. I'll say something back to them that will make them feel happy, put a smile on their face too. And just that like five second interaction with someone on the street make really makes my day. Like it really, 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 really does. And that's one of the first things that I really enjoyed about New York City because People will scream across the street to tell you that you look good today. But um, yeah, I think what my style says about me is is that I don't know. I'm hoping that I, I love life because mm-hmm. I really do. Can you elaborate on why your style says that you love life? Like what is it? How does that go together? Someone that takes care of themselves um, and things that they choose to put on, um, says that they they do want some sort of interaction and wanting to talk to somebody or wanting some sort of, you know, um, back and forth with somebody means that you're not pushing people away. And when you're not pushing people away, that means you are in this world together. And to me, that just, you know, that, that automatically means that you love the world and you love your life. Mm-hmm. if you love people because mm-hmm. we don't live alone in this world so it's that idea that i have never really thought about out loud until now mm-hmm. and you're not hiding and yeah exactly you're not hiding you know you're vulnerable and you're and you're at, at the same time that you're being brave and yeah i feel like the way you dress says so much about you um like ever since i was a kid i loved wearing shorts and skirts you know like even as a girl growing up in Dubai it made me feel good it made me feel powerful I felt like a woman's legs are they're a force you know a force to be reckoned with like they're just my legs are strong like I used to also dance so really my legs were everything for me and I I loved showing them and you know I was I was raised by my father and he really understood me and even though we lived in Dubai, a country that 
you know, you couldn't show so much skin in because of religion, I never really over, like pushed the boundaries too much where I would look bad or get in trouble. And my father always gave me this sort of comfort and confidence that what I'm doing wasn't wrong because no one really dressed very um, in a very like naked way back then. I remember I was always the one out of my friends that felt like it was okay to tell my story in my clothes. What kind of trouble could you get in? If you went to the mall showing a, a lot of skin, you could get fined. Like you could actually get fined. What's a lot? So it, it's ever changing. I mean, when I was brought up there, it wasn't very defined. But then out of nowhere, we started seeing um, stickers on on the doors into the mall saying, please wear half sleeves. Like that's the most skin that you could show. It never really sat well with me because I know that even if I'm showing more than what is depicted in this picture, I'm still holding myself in a very respectful manner. Even if, if, I'm, sh if I'm showing my legs, it doesn't mean that I'm a dirty person or a bad person. The way I act, the way I treat people says that about me, not how much I have on. I, I don't have to be the one to control what you are thinking by what, to, what, what I'm putting on my body. You're right. going to be the one that's going to control what you're thinking. You're not responsible I'm for not what responsible. other people's perceptions. Absolutely are. not. Absolutely not. Right. Because I'm, I'm, I'm a confident woman. I know that I carry myself well and I know that I treat people with dignity and respect. And regardless of what I have on, I should be treated with the same respect that I treat people. I mean, I was even thinking this morning, where does it even come from? You know, when I was in the gym and I always take off my sweaty tank top and put a sweatshirt on kind of in the middle of the gym, but my sweatshirt's covering. And I was, I was thinking this morning, like, where does it even come from that? Like, you know, that breasts or something to be like, you know, that they're a no, no. I mean, like, what does that even mean? I mean, I don't even, it, it's just sort of silly. I always think of my father when I think of anything that's, you know, when I think of nudity or anything that, well, mainly nudity. And I would automatically think of what he would say. And this is because I have so much love and respect for my father. Um, and you, uh, he's, he's allowed me to do, as a, as a very young girl, he's really allowed me to like spread my wings and be myself and just be independent no matter what. He's really been such a supporter. Growing up, I have this responsibility when it comes to something that might, disappoint him a little bit and when I think of something such as breasts I automatically think that he might think he might say that it's something that's sacred mm -hmm. right because it gives life you know mm -hmm. something that gives life is something that is sacred and shouldn't be shared with the world mm -hmm. and that's the way I look mm -hmm. at it I wouldn't choose to show my breasts publicly because I automatically think of my dad and that's something that is sacred to me. How did he become so evolved? You know, uh, raising two women, two young girls. He just wants to always be better. So he always taught himself and he constantly evolved on his own without anybody telling him to. And uh, that's what made it really easy for my father and I to build. It's unusual um, to hear that. It that truly you is. Yeah, when I never felt like I wasn't allowed to do for example what the boys did you know I never really had to fight for my feminine rights growing up 
because in my house my father gave me that confidence uh, i don't feel the need to prove for my for my rights as a woman just because i know my rights as a woman and that's how i move every single minute of every single day that's so awesome and um where mom? yeah what about your mom was she around my mom yeah i saw my sister and i saw our mother a lot so we would fly back and forth to lebanon all the time i mean christmas easter summer i was born and raised in dubai my sister and i were born and raised in dubai um my family got married in lebanon and moved to dubai why why did they leave my grandfather left lebanon in the 60s i mean we've always had you know war in lebanon and he simply wanted to have a better life for his family he wanted to build a better world for his family um, my grandfather was the most hardworking man like a visionary and he moved to dubai when it was still a desert there was one building at the time this is a story that i hear very often he moved to dubai with 30 dollars in his pocket slept in the desert covered himself up with sand and worked at a factory until he made connections and eventually built his own factory in in steel uh, in steel construction and this this business that he built that that he took so long to build we still live off of today it's become our family business and uh, so my father who is the oldest out of his uh, siblings and his whole family um, raised their kids such as me and my sister in Dubai. Wow, what a story, sleeping in the sand. Wow. Yeah, God bless his soul. He, uh, he set one hell of an example for us, you know. So my parents separated in 99 and uh, eventually got a divorce. And my sister and I grew up with our father and our grandparents and our cousins next door. And my mom moved to Lebanon. I love the path that my life has taken. Of course, it is, it, it is mixed with a lot of pain and a lot of like uncertainty and a lot of questions as to why. Why was it that I grew up with my father and not my mom? It is the way it is for my sister and I, and we made the most out of it. You know, I was my younger sister's guardian like I, I felt like I needed to protect her so from a very young age I was I felt like a mom and I still really am a mom and I have this like you know maternal instinct and I take care of my friends that way and I take care of my mom that way too today I'm my mom's mom hmm. that's intense and heavy it really is because only until only until I, I was in my like mid-20s um did I start feeling the effects of how intense my parents' divorce was on, on, my, on me and my sister? I mean, my sister dealt with it in a very, very different way. But the way I dealt with it as a kid was I didn't have time to be sad or miss my mom because I needed to be happy and I needed to take care of my younger sister. You needed to be the adult. You needed to be the mother. I needed to be the adult. Mm -hmm. And I think I've been blessed with a very happy heart. Do you think that's just something you're born with? Yeah. As much as I think that it is inherently born within you, like it, it just is born within you, I also think that the way from a very young age, the way that 
you are treated by your parents, the, the energy that exists within your household really affects who you are, who you are going to become, your personality, things that you hate, things that scare you, all of that. Definitely. And it starts from a very young mm -hmm. age. In and, the womb. I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I can't remember who said this or where I read this or listened to this, but um, as a woman, when you're pregnant, whatever traumas that you go th that you go through while you're pregnant or before are automatically passing down to your baby and when your baby comes out that's the traumas are going to be there and then it's going to take a lot of effort and time for your baby to unlearn and detach from these traumas and a lifetime god i'm realizing all these things today like what my mom has been through a fuck load of trauma in her life mm -hmm. and i'm the only person that she trusts my mm -hmm. sister and i like where she believes that we're the only people that truly love her she wasn't born in a loving home um she never got praised for good grades that she got at school or the way she tried to help her mom in the kitchen or and these are all things that my mom and I started talking about once I got older you know I, I tried to understand why she's hurt the way she's hurt and why does she let it out in so many ways that are I can't understand um and I do that too like what she would project a lot of her pain onto us um her temper was very short and is still very short. Um, she's always right. Uh, she finds it hard to listen to us. We need to listen to her because she's the mother. Because she knows more than us. You know, it got to a point where I'm like, Mom, listen. I love you with all my heart. But there are some things that you just do not know as well as I do. And you need to hear me out. And we need to have this space in order in order mm -hmm. for both of us to grow because you have a lot of growth too you have a lot of growth that you need to do away from the trauma that you've that you have that you're carrying that you're carrying story. and you're passing it on to your daughters and that is not fair but you know what i don't blame you because you don't know any better so let me be that person your teacher that can help you don't shut me down mm. open up to me let me help you help me and we're both we'll both be happy but this is a constant struggle that i have with my mom isn't the film about like connection and isn't there like a mother daughter yes yes there is so after i discovered what mukbang was about this idea to connect with people and this idea to relieve yourself from loneliness that's the angle that I was I connected to the most because um, as I said before there are a lot of uh, reasons for mukbang's existence but this is the one that I felt the most connected to and when I discovered that reason I was like oh yeah of course you know mukbang exists for that purpose you know I believe this us as human beings we create all these solutions to to uh, for, our, for our pain and I, I look at mukbang as a solution you know to one's loneliness to one's pain to the need to 
be desired, the need to be wanted, the need to be loved by someone else. That's a beautiful way of putting it. Also, as I said before, I believe that we are, are, we are all products of our household. I, I, I know that I wanted to use something that was so relatable to every single human being that they might not have thought of before. With mukbang, um, I talked about a mother-daughter relationship and the disconnect that occurs within a household and how that can affect one's being and one's sanity and one's uh, happiness. And with Clams Casino, the young girl reaches out to her mom uh, via mukbang um, and also heals her loneliness via mukbang. So at the same time, these are happening. So the plot is a little... It goes a little like this. This young girl called Arcelia is... Uh, we don't know who, where her father is. We don't know if he's uh, dead or he's just not around. But he, we know that he's not around. And we know that her mom is not very fond of him anymore. Um, and she's inherited things that they used to do together when they were kids. Um, and one of them is they used to go to the beach really early in the morning and he introduced her to the world of fishing. And this is something that she still does um, as a form of her meditation and uh, therapy. And she discovered mukbang and she decided to cook all of the seafood that she catches weekly for her audience. Um, and her mother knows that she's doing this weird online eating thing that she thinks is very degrading and very ridiculous and associates her cooking seafood and bringing home like a bag of, of the sea to, to her ex-husband um, and kind of like rips her daughter apart for being too much like her father, being a tomboy, um, not doing something good with her life. And constantly dismisses her daughter and um, so Arcelia has found mukbang as a place of healing because there are other people on on the web that appreciate her and that she's going to cook for because her mom never has dinner with her and we see while she's cooking her food while she's prepping for this session she watches her mom on TV, her mother is a home shopping network host who is this like really loud woman, very big, big, big energy, big character. And we see that she's picked up some things from her mother and has used them in her own practice when she starts hosting her food show, Mukbang. And we kind of see the similarities that occur between the mother and the daughter and the, 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 the disconnect that also occurs between them and how they make peace with one another. And that's the way the film ends, how they make peace. And a lot of people at the screenings, when we had Q&A after, they would just, they would be like, whoa, I didn't expect it to end like that. Or why did, why did you choose to end the film like that? And the way it ends is, the mother comes back home in the evening 
midway through her daughter's mukbang session and she kind of she looks at her she pours herself a glass of wine and she's revisiting everything that happened and she walks over to her daughter goes right behind her the audience can see her mom walk into frame like what is this woman doing and she simply starts stroking her hair and just stroking her hair and her daughter doesn't even react to her she just carries on what she's doing as if her mother didn't even do this and the film ends just like that and to me that represents so much that my mom and I go through uh, we fight a lot and we find we find little moments like these where where we look into each other's eyes and we know that we're both sorry or she simply just gives me a kiss or you know strokes my hair and that is her way of apologizing without saying too much and that goes a very long and deep way you know and I felt like ending Clams Casino just like that was a very real depiction of what goes on in my relationship with my mom. Well, there, so in other words, there's this, like, it's, it's reality, it's the truth of life, it's just that there is this sadness and there is a certain disconnection or there's a certain, there's repercussions um, to you of her behavior, but at the same time, there's like an understanding and like a forgiveness, is that? Is that yes. Thank you again to Oli Biologique for sponsoring this episode. Oli's multitasking daily essential facial oils are pure, potent, and purposeful, bursting with plant and seed-based botanicals in every golden drop. Certified vegan, cruelty-free, and without any parabens or synthetics, Oli delivers the nutrients your skin craves fast. Oli's products are all sustainably sourced, cold-pressed, gluten-free, and non-GMO using whole plant ingredients. Save 20% with the code STYLELIKEU20 at amazon.com slash olibiologique. That's amazon.com slash olibiologique with STYLELIKEU20 for 20% off your order. What do you think is the biggest insecurity or struggle that you're working on, working through right now, or working on overcoming? The fear to love all the way. Mm -hmm. romantically because of my parents mm -hmm. like I'm I'm such a I'm such a sucker for love and I've always I've always had some sort of like a relationship uh or I've always dated someone I I do I do love to share romantic feelings with someone else let's put it that way um, but uh, you know, like for example, I've been with my boyfriend for two years and there's still a feeling deep, deep inside of me that scares me to love all the way and to make like a full on commitment because I've seen that in my parents and it didn't go as they planned and I don't want to make the mistake that they made. So there's always that fear that's deeply rooted inside of me when it comes to loving someone I'm in a relationship with. I mean, I do, I do love him and I do love him very deeply, but there's just that like, there's just that deeper layer that goes on to like the next stage, which is marriage, which scares the shit out of me. It just really shakes 
shakes me down to my core. And how, how does that manifest? Like when you're sh- like shaken to your core, will it be like something that happens? I do talk about it with, with my boyfriend. I do express that. And we have that like open space where I can express what I'm going through my pains and, and he can do the same. And he's really forced me to do that. You know, I know I, I could, I could easily suppress a feeling because I'm so used to just like shutting a feeling off, not thinking about it, moving on with my life because I don't have any time to deal with something that is hurting me. I should care more about the things that are positive rather than the negatives. You know, that's the way I've lived my life ever since I was young. And so he's like, no, you cannot suppress these emotions because they're going to come out even more monstrous in a very different way. Yeah. When you're not dealing with them. Exactly. You know, and, and, and you start projecting and he's like, now you're projecting. No, we need to talk about this. You need to express yourself and you need to believe that I'm going to be listening because that's what I'm here for. What's your biggest fear? To die. Yeah. I don't want to... I, I I can't... Like, I can't imagine where I would be after I've gone. And it's it's a concept that I still don't understand. Um, Within myself, I don't want the things that I've experienced to just end. Like, I don't want the love that I felt to just go away. I don't want anything that I personally went through to go away. I don't want to like, I don't want the relationships that I had, my family. I don't want that to disappear. Like, does it disappear? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I know what won't disappear is this podcast. I know that what won't disappear is my film or a photo or an article or anything that I put out into the world. And that's what I try to do because I just want to, I don't know. I just want to stay. Um, I remember the first time connected. That, yeah. I remember the first time that I discovered death. It was a few months after my parents separated and I remember it was new year's. How old were you? Nine. Uh, it was new year's Eve and I went to sleep and I was like, wait a second. I could see all black for forever. You know, that that is a possibility because I went to sleep and I closed my eyes and all I saw was black. And I was like, oh, my God, is that what it feels to die? Like, am I just going to mm. be in a black box without being able to see, hear, love, smell, eat, run, laugh? And... I couldn't sleep that night. But I try not to think so much about death and I try to live my life. I know this is so corny, but I l- try to live my life to the fullest. I, I relate to everything completely. I'm sure everyone does about what you're saying about that fear of, you know, losing what you have, all those things that you have yeah. that you care so much about and how, and I, and I really relate to how getting dressed, how every day how every communication how everything that you put out into the world whatever it is 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 just an effort to um you know to just make life that much more pleasant 
What What is the biggest risk you've ever taken? After high school, I wanted to study abroad. And my father was, I remember saying like, oh, all my friends are going to Canada. Like, I want to go to Canada. He's like, no. And no one in my family really studied abroad. They all stayed in Dubai. And I knew that I was not going to stay in Dubai. I just knew it. Like, I was like, whatever it is that I'm going to do, I'm not going to stay here. And so I was like, okay, well, at least let me go study fashion in, in Lebanon and I live with mom. I was about to make a move there and then something went wrong with the with the university. So the only thing that I could do then was enroll in the American University in Dubai, do a freshman year, reapply to the fashion design school in Beirut and go and get my BA. So I enrolled at AUD, it's called. I spent a little over a week. And during that week and a half, I was plotting my way out. I was like, what what else? How am I going to get myself out of this situation? I researched fashion schools in London because I was closer to home. And I found a course, a foundation in fashion. And I was like, dad, I want to talk to you about something. He's like, he knew something was coming up. I walk in there with my laptop <laughs> and he's like, what's up? I was like, I think I want to move to London. He looks at me. He's like, what? No, no, no. And my heart just sank down. And then he looks at me. He's like, okay, come here. Talk to me. Tell me what's up. I open my laptop. I'm like, there is this foundation and fashion course that I want to attend. And after that, I'm pretty sure I can go into my fashion design bachelor's. But in order to get there, I need to leave AUD today. I found a fashion course, a four-month fashion course, where I can build a portfolio in order to submit to London. And it'll finish before the deadline of my submission. And that's my plan. This is where I'll stay. This is the course that I want to do. Blah, blah, blah. And I was 17 at the time. And he was like, do it. And if you get in, go. That's it. That's the first time I took a really big risk where I just trusted myself to do a very bold move that, you know, at the time in my family, no one did. And it was scary. The idea of like moving, I don't know, to another continent and living on your own when you're so young. What was the um, like fashion to film like trend what was that evolution like what made you want to make that change lebanon was my transition so when i moved there after i graduated from a bachelor's in fashion styling in london i remember getting there in the summer and having no plan and there was a garbage crisis happening in lebanon and everybody i knew and more were out on the streets protesting the government and i have never i had never seen lebanon that way i had never seen Lebanon alive that way with all the kids and absolutely everybody was just we were all together and we were all fighting one thing and that was a very exciting time for me to discover Lebanon there was so much that I wanted to dig into that I never felt before and so after being there for two years or so I was just really drawn to the people to my people there were such characters like I just started studying the way everybody moved and the way they spoke. And we're very temperamental. <laughs> we're very temperamental people because we just can't handle bullsh bullshit. Like we'll just say something 
as it is without sugarcoating anything and it's it makes me laugh a lot and i constantly found myself recording like all these bypassers and over the period of time i had this archive of like video footage of like random people then that i that i would then collage into little narrative videos and make some sort of sense out of them and i kept exercising that side of me and felt like wow hold on a second moving image can have a greater effect has a greater effect on me than a still and mm. Just that concept alone, you know, seeing someone breathe or seeing someone talk or seeing someone have a conversation and what stories I can tell by just recording someone. And I felt <laughs> like it was just a very simple tool that I had never really looked at. Lebanon was very tough for me as a kid because of the way it looked and because of how to, like hurt and torn the people of Lebanon are, I always saw it as uh, aggression is the right word. I always saw it as aggression from people. And I, it was something that I couldn't really relate to as a kid. Um, but later on in life, when I decided to make a move and live in Lebanon for a couple of years after I graduated from London... I almost forced myself to face my country and understand it, break it down, see how I connected to it, uh, if I connected to it, and and I did, and it was it was one of the best things that I have done for myself spiritually and um, in terms of my career because I learned that. Deciding to create a relationship with my country gave me a more, a better idea about myself and who I was. And as I discovered my country, I discovered myself. In what way? I always pushed the thought, the idea of being like very Lebanese away because I never related to it as a kid. But as I discovered my country more and more I felt like we are a beautiful nation that has fought so hard to, to to stay where we are and to be here in the world and not to be wiped off the map of the world and it said so I related to it so much because it is who I am too mm -hmm. so that's one way that mm -hmm my country really represents me and i think every lebanese person could would probably say the same thing we're very patriotic so as an adult i started to like want to wanting to protect my country wanted to defend it wanted to prove that it was so much more beauty than it was pain even though pain was there there's so much beauty in it and as we said before you know beauty doesn't exist without pain and lebanon really is like that when do you feel the most beautiful i feel the most beautiful when the sun is out i feel the most beautiful when it's bright out like not during the night time 
I feel the most beautiful when I dance or when I'm naked and I'm just like dancing around the house being an idiot. I feel really beautiful then. I feel really beautiful when I'm when I'm at the beach. I feel really beautiful when I'm in the water. And I feel really beautiful when I made someone happy. Like truly happy. I feel really beautiful then. And I feel very beautiful when I cook for someone and they're eating my food. Yeah, I feel beautiful when I clean my house. I feel... Uh, when I'm doing good, I feel beautiful. When I'm connecting someone, I feel beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What does self-acceptance mean to you? Loving yourself no matter what. Um, even if you've like... I don't know, you know, some days I don't love myself as much as other days. Some days I don't wake up as good as other days. And I tend to like tear myself down sometimes for not feeling great and not put like when I'm not feeling so great in the morning, let's say I won't work as hard because I don't have like that same drive. And that makes me feel like I did bad today, you know, and I need to accept that like it's not always it's not always going to be the best day. You're not always going to be your best self and you're not always going to do the right thing and you need to accept that and learn from your faults because if you don't, I mean if if you don't then you're just not progressing, you know. My father always painted this chart for us when we were younger at school. He was like, no matter what, I don't care what your grades are. I really don't care. I just want to see week by week, month by month, that your chart is going upwards. Even if it's 0.5 centimeters, that this line that you're drawing is just going up. you know. And that's like a motto that I've... Mm -hmm like held Big picture yeah held so close to my heart like learn from yourself from your mistakes from from others mistakes and accept that these are a natural part of your journey you know thank you so much that thank you thank you guys absolutely amazing really. thank you so much so so great it was such a pleasure really really incredible i can't wait to see the film a final thank you to Olibiologique for sponsoring this episode of What's Underneath. With the idea that we need to celebrate, not fix our natural selves, Oli's skincare products aim to get your skin glowing with no filters and no extraneous hype. You can keep up with Oli via Instagram at Oli Organic Oils and learn more at olibiologique.com. And save 20% with the code STYLELIKEU20 at amazon.com slash olibiologique. That's amazon.com slash olibiologique with Style Like You 20 for 20% off your order. That link will also be in the show information. 
We hope you are inspired by this episode. Until next week, that's it from me, Elisa. And me, Lily. If you agree that facades separate us and being radically honest brings us together, help spread the movement for radical self-acceptance by sharing this episode, subscribing to our podcast, and joining us on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash you to support our work and help us build a world where everyone feels comfortable and safe in their own skin. And if you fall in love with each of our guests as much as we do, you can see them in their full self-expression by subscribing to our YouTube channel and following us on Instagram and Facebook using the handle at style like you. That's the letter U instead of the word U. And check out our book, True Style is What's Underneath, The Self-Acceptance Revolution on Amazon or at a local bookstore near you. We can't skip ahead to a happy ending or live inside a photoshopped image or an Instagram filter. There is no finding oneself when glossing over the truth. <laughs>